What would change in the world if you, me, and everyone choose to feed the wolf of possibilities instead of the one of doubt, distrust, and despair? The way I see it, our point of view creates reality, not the other way around. Somewhere deep within, I think we know that. In this podcast, I am daring you to claim this remarkable superpower. Join us and be inspired by trackers, explorers, and finders of possibilities from the multiverse of hope. Welcome to the podcast, Feeding the Wolf of Possibilities, with your host, Katrina Valentin. Welcome to this episode of Feeding the Wolf of Possibilities. And my guest today is Christopher Hughes, who is a true Renaissance person, a communications mentor, a facilitator of access consciousness, and an arts and antiques curator. And that's what we will dive into today. The possibilities of beautiful, interesting, valuable, and mysterious things from times past. So welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. And have you always been interested in old stuff? Yes, I have. From a very early age, I had some very obscure things on my Christmas list that people in my family had no idea where I developed an appetite for them from. So how did it develop? Like, where did it start? And I think it, for me, it developed from a, a love or an interest in literature and in films. And the films that I liked, like I wasn't that interested in the popular culture movies that everyone else was excited about, like the action adventure movies of the day. Car crashes and chases were never really my thing. I was more interested in, you know, period dramas or things set in an ancient time and and that sort of romance was always alluring to me. So how was it received by people around you, your family, your friends? Well, you know what it you know what it was like and so many other listeners out there probably do growing up where you had appetites and interests that were just so different. Like I was speaking to a friend just the other day who was talking about how when she was just in primary school, she had a fascination with certain topics where she would dive so deep into them that she had this intimacy with the minute details of them. And that was my thing. Like I loved um, English literature. I loved Greek myth and you know, dramas and things set in times gone by and history was the other thing that I just always loved. So in one way, it's um, when I walk in cities, for example, I can perceive times past in the city. It's like the time is bleeding and I can sometimes even see the old times, you know, in there. So do you have that sense with things? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people do like there's a certain thing that occurs when you pick up an object that the only way I can describe it is with things past the object is real like you can perceive the people who made it and even even the person who came up with it and drew it on a sketchbook coming up with the design for a piece and so much of what I collect it's not just a pretty vase or a pretty jug. It's this kind of intersection where fine art 
and the things that we live with meet. Mm. So there was a period of time when people wanted to do that. They wanted to marry this world of, of fine art and all of its ideals and having something that is incredibly beautiful or has a story to tell and then marrying that with an object that we use in our life to enrich how we experience things so that flowers in a vase or tea in a cup or water poured from a pitcher, it's an enriched experience. I know this might sound like a bit of a tangent from the question you asked, but there is, when I handle those things, there's that you get this download of all of those people that appreciated the object over time or went into creating it or what the influences even were that informed its creation well it's actually it's exactly what I was asking even if I didn't put it that way and there's two things that come up so one is it's it's like the object time traveled the people may have died but the object actually time traveled so you get to you get to experience time with the object and then the other part that you said was that this living combining the beauty and the and the art with actual things that you use and you sometimes talk about living beautifully and Mm. like inspire people to live beautifully so could you talk a little bit more about that what you just started and just develop it a bit yeah well the things in my life whether they're silver or crystal or porcelain or jewelry, whatever they are, they're all designed to add that element of beauty to your life in whatever you happen to be doing, whether it's dining or dressing or just sitting in your office like I am right now and enjoying the space of it. And the beauty of those objects come from somebody breathing life into it with the craft that they've learned. And as a result, they weren't necessarily readily available to the public and they were probably considered too expensive to keep making because the just the the hours of someone creating it is no longer considered like realistic at all and that's partially what i mean by when i say they're real like there's something real about it because someone actually learned this skill and dedicated their life into making this thing. And and that's something we've lost big time. I mean, nowadays, everything's made to be available to a global economy. Yeah. And have a life cycle of a few years. A a few years at most, like even, even home appliances, you're lucky if you get five years out of them and then people are considering them rubbish, you should replace it. But when you add these, I think they, they transcend time, as you said earlier, when they're made with this spirit of craftsmanship and beauty, it doesn't matter when they were made. Mm. It resonates into the future because the person making it actually was considering the future that this object would have. It's also, it's like you become part of that history. Like the history started long before we were born, but when we then put, allow this object to come into our lives and be part of it, like you're saying, living with it beautifully, we become part of an ongoing story for something. Like we be, 
become part of that energy. Absolutely. Like I, I've got an example of that. I have a, a vase here. One of the things that I collect is silver made by Tiffany and Co from their early history. And I have this vase that was made in the 1840s, very early in the company's history, considering they were founded in 1837. And when I found it, there was this inscription on it that said, Camp O2O, Lieutenant Colonel Stevens. And I went, wow, that's really specific. I'll look it up. He was a Lieutenant Colonel in the Second World War and Camp O2O was a Secret Service MI5 base in London. And this guy, there's a big article I read about him in the Smithsonian. He had this method for taking German prisoners of war and turning them into double agents and interrogating them using nonviolent methods. Okay, so that's this weird story, right? This vase was actually made in the 1850s, but somehow it made it in, in New York. It was made in New York, but then somehow by the 1940s, it was in London and they repurposed this old trophy to make it a presentation piece in London. Then I found it 80 years later in Genoa, Italy. How it was there, again, no idea. Well, now it's in Australia with me. <laughs> so this thing has obviously had so many different lifetimes and so many different places that it's lived and, and people that it has had as its owners, quote unquote. And to me, that's there's something really incredible about that. That's the ultimate in recycling. If you want to talk about ecological consciousness and not, you know, wasting things, it's it's been made with such beauty and such value that we hold on to it. We're not that interested in just getting rid of it and throwing it away. It also, when you when you tell this story, it's like this weave of the world and time coming together. Cause not only did it travel in time, it also traveled all over the world. Like it started in New York and then it went to Genoa and then it went to Australia. Like this vase is become this thread of, of everything, which is so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And where will it go next? Like it doesn't stop with me. It will continue to have a life. Like here's the way I think about it. See, one of the things that I do is I'm a, a facilitator of Right Voice for You, which is the, one of the specialties within Access Consciousness. And it's Right Voice for You is really about your creative voice in the world. It's not necessarily about your physical voice. It's about anything that you create. And when you are creating with that sense of beauty and speaking to the point of view that you're that you look from uniquely like we each have this point of view that we look from to see something different it's like like if you ever walk through a gallery of pictures and you see all of these different artists with their pictures on the wall those are all representation of these different people's visions and what they saw and from that they created something that was essentially a life force of its own that was birthed into the world. And, and people continue to value it and have some connection to the artist who made it. So that's to me what these, these pieces of art are and these vases and whatever it is that you are interested in. You know, For me, it's what I collect. They are 
a piece of creation that resonates out into the future and carries their past with them. It's beautiful. And every era sees it in it, like perceives it, every person in every era perceives and interprets every piece in a different way. Yeah. Okay. So um, a few, I don't know, long ago now, you started to work um, as the director and curator of the Antiques Guild in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, well, first, how did that occur? Like, how did you end up there? <sighs> Accidentally, really. I had always loved antiques and, and things, but I hadn't really made a formal study of it. And I just sort of, you know, any, every time I traveled to a new city, my sort of hit list on what to do is the galleries, the museums, and some of the antique shops. Because I don't know about you, but I do like to shop. But these days, all those shops and the brands are the same, no matter what city you go to. Like if you go to Chanel in Tokyo versus Paris versus New York, it's all the same thing, really, you know? So I like finding those stores where you're going to find that odd, interesting thing that you might not get anywhere else. So I was always interested in that way, but Gary Douglas, the founder of Access Consciousness, had started this store in Brisbane, Australia, and it wasn't really working with the people that he'd started it with. And he said, would you come along and help me with this business I'm I could use a manager and I have a background in marketing and business development and I said no I would rather not I can't think of anything quite so boring as sitting in a shop all day and all antique dealers seem to have emphysema or something and no and he said okay fine well would you be willing to help me out because I'm in a bit of a pinch for a month. And I said, sure, I will do a month. And I said to him, but it'll probably take more like three months to really sort out some systems and what you've got going on. And he said, okay, fine. You let me know when you're done. And it's been 10 years and I'm still not done. (laughs) So what was it like once you got to live with antiques every day? and actually create this business? It's like every day is Christmas and every day is a journey of learning and every day is an adventure because every time a new shipment arrives, a new box arrives, which is almost daily, you open it and it's this adventure of, oh my, what's this? Who made this? When did they make it? How did they make it? What did they make it out of? Why is that interesting? Historically, how does this sort of, relate to everything else that was going on you know so I'm I have been in the past a little bit flippant or uh I don't know if flippant's the right word but I've gone through a lot of phases you know moving from thing to thing to thing but this is the first thing that's come along where I was like yep this is it I love this I have never been bored of it and I can continually learn and grow every day I didn't so, realize it at the time, but it, it has been the most amazing gift. Well, he does tend to know things, Gary Douglas. Mm-hmm. You know that. He sure does. Yeah. Yep. So two things, like how, how do you find antiques? Like how do, 
how do you go about finding antiques and how do you find who an antique would fit with? You know, if you're, if somebody comes into your store, how do you know um, which antiques talk to them? You know how we're talking about each item is this like creation from somebody's unique point of view and they bring it out into the world and it sort of is its own life force and entity. The pieces pick the people. It, it sounds strange, but it's true. Last week, I sold a cabinet and we delivered it today to the customer. And in his house, he really has nothing that is antique. It's like everything is very modern. And there's this one new piece that he's just bought from us that's an antique. And when the staff were delivering it, they were asking him questions. And he said, yeah, I'd never been to your store before. I didn't know it was there. I was walking down the street and I had my phone out and it accidentally logged me into your store with the QR codes that you had outside your store because we have to do this COVID QR thing anyway. So his phone checked him in as to our store and he went, okay, I'll go. And he walked in and saw this piece and went, huh, I have to have it. It's like the universe conspired and all the molecules of his being and the thing came, went, and, and that was that. And I do the same thing with finding things for the store. I mean, Gary Douglas is incredible and things find him like crazy. And he does a lot of the buying for the store, but I also do a great deal of it. And I use the same principle. I allow the things to find me and I say, okay, show me if you want to come to our store and you want to use us to find your owner you find me so you've been i think you've been considering putting the store online is that correct no it is online it has been it has been for a while we have our website and then instagram and we sell on a whole bunch of other different online platforms so how has that changed things like what what is that like to to have the store online well, it's really interesting. It, it, if like as a business owner or as, and as a manager, you know, you're always really aware of your business and what's going on. And for the longest time, we've had two stores and then all the online channels and you're always aware of it. And when one of them is, is, was working or something is selling, it's, it's, there's like a little tug that occurs in your universe to show you that something's going on there. And we've actually just closed one store because we're moving it. And it feels like an arm has been amputated. It's really strange going, oh, that thing where I used to have so much energy is gone now. While this new shop is being built, or we're waiting. It's, it's very unusual. But now, instead of just having your store that has its hours of nine to five, Monday through Friday or whatever your store hours are, we're always doing business. And through so many different avenues, it's business these days, especially retail. You can't just have a shop. Well, I guess you could, but mm -hmm. it's so cool to have something always happening on whatever channel, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or on the website itself. So like a, a worldwide tug 24-7, basically, going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if, if somebody listening to this would like to add some of this 
some of this energy and contribution to their life of antiques, but they have none. They're like that guy <laughs> that lives with only things that are modern in their house or in their life. How could they start? Like, what, what, could, what could they start with? Find out what excites you. Find out what, like, gets you going. Do you know, like, throughout the years of collecting for me, my collection has really evolved. And it started quite niche and specific to just a particular kind of silver. And now there's paintings and glass and porcelain and things that are 300 years old, things that are 30 years old, sort of all mixed up. And it's my particular vision and voice. Find out what it is for you. Because if you find something that excites you that way, you will enjoy learning about it. You will enjoy the search for it. And the details of it start to come alive in a really exciting way. And there is a collector for everything. Like, don't assume that antiques have to be a certain thing or a certain way. It doesn't have to be like what you grew up with at your grandmother's house that you didn't like. If you're interested in Scandinavian mid-century furniture or glass or whatever, there is a market out there for it. And there are sources of it that if that's what excites you, you will find it. And, it, and it's so much fun. It's treasure hunting. So... Start wherever you start. You don't have to be investing huge amounts of money in grand things. It can be little beautiful objects that just give you joy. And whatever it is, it's not wrong. Like we had a guy come in the store one day and he was a, a workman working on the, on the street. They were putting down new pavement. He was gruff and dirty and he came into the store and I was a bit like, hmm, what's going on here? And he came in and he said, I collect 19th century sewing implements. Have you got any, <laughs> any needle cases or measuring tapes for sewing? And I was like, how did you get into something so incredibly specific? But that's just it. He, he, he loves it. He gets joy out of it. And great. So find out what that is for you. I mean, some people are into watches and cars. I find that so boring. I have no interest in watches or cars, but doesn't make it wrong. Whatever you like. And it's also when you talk about it, there's such a, it's like a, a deepening of who you are by finding out what excites you. And then actually, like you're saying, go, whatever that is, go for it. That guy who was collecting sawing, I couldn't even. I sewing even, implements. Yeah. Sawing implements. I mean, sewing, like for, for sewing, like needle yeah. and thread, like, yeah. Thank you. Sorry, my English. No, no. That makes him just by knowing that he does that makes him bigger as a being and a person in the world. Absolutely. You get to know this other dynamic side of somebody. And it's also so much, I don't know if you're anything like this, but for those of us who are like, really busy people or involved in multiple businesses. What I love about it is when I'm collecting or playing with my collection of antiques, it's something that I do with no result in mind and just for the fun of it, not to judge whether I've produced something or been productive or whatever, just for the joy of, oh, this is pretty, this is fun, I love this. And that actually is something we do so little of. 
in the world. So just for the joy of it and the relaxation of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a beautiful place to end. Thank you so much, Chris. And uh, where do they find you and the Antique Guild? Well, if you're interested in the Antique Guild and seeing what we have, look for us on Instagram. It's antique underscore guild. Uh, and we post a lot of things there. And then on our website, it's www.theantiqueguild.com.au. And for me, it's www.mrchristopherhughes.com. So you will meet them there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast, Feeding the Wolf of Possibilities. I hope you have more space in your world now. If you would like to listen to earlier episodes, share with other people or subscribe, please go to Spotify, iTunes, or visit katrinavalentin.com slash wolf.